Hello, and welcome to this special episode of On War the Podcast. Before we return to our regular schedule next week, Austin and I take a break to commemorate one of Australia's military defeats. On its 85th anniversary, this is the story of the Great Emu War. For once, we found a time not just to record, but to actually record in the same room, which is kind of nice, kind of a little bit different. Well, it depends. You guys don't have to look at him. (laughs) So... In the spirit of, of, of having a few drinks and relaxing after the end of a, of a hard semester and having not just, in my case, not just uh, work handed in, but PhD applications. And Austin, you've been off getting grants for conferences and, and swanning around as a PhD student as well. Yeah, he calls it swanning around, but actually only one of us is on holiday at the moment. Yeah, so <laughs> I'm swimming a lot, swanning around at least, but it, it, it does change the editing schedule and, and shift things. So anyway, it's all over. We're down and we thought... As well as recording a regular episode, which we've actually done backwards, because of course you've got to do the work before you do the play. But in terms of release schedule, we thought we'd do something a little bit different, something a little bit more lighthearted and um, a little bit more, despite the nature of, of, of what we talk about, something that, that's a little bit more humorous. Um, reality is this podcast is about war and, and human conflict, and it's a, a terrible reality of both individual human existence and our history. But as with any human existence there's always these moments of schadenfreude where you see that one guy you don't like tripping over at the pool and you sort of have to kill so we thought we'd do an episode that was sort of looking at these moments of history that that perhaps bring a little bit of light to the darkness this is probably also important because i mean anyone that's looked at military history and i'm sure most of our listeners have to be some center or another what you see is that these are human beings right the average general is no more attached or or good at their job necessarily than the average businessman or banker. And what that means is no matter what the human tragedy is, and and of course we respect that and we respect that that this is the case, it is always important to add a little bit of reality to some of this stuff and recognise that even in the most terrible aspects of what we study as as IR scholars or international political science or whatever scholars, it is always humans. And we do some very strange things and some very humorous things at occasion that's worth sort of talking about. And so that's the the goal of this episode. Yeah. Uh, one other thing I'd like to say is that we've both seen students throughout our, our studies, particularly in, in focusing on terrorism, who have dropped out, who not continued because they couldn't deal with the harsh reality of what it is. The alternative, or one of the alternatives, is humor. The other thing is, it's an 85th anniversary. This is a special moment in Australian military history. Obviously, the 11th of November, Austin's hiding himself right now. The 11th of November has come and gone. That is, of course, the Armistice Day and and Remembrance Day in Australia. But there's another moment that doesn't get talked about. In fact, we don't like to talk about it. Well, yes, because it's Australia's great loss. It's the only war we've ever lost on Australian soil. We did. Uh, The enemy was uh, fast, devious, intelligent. And very hardy. Incredibly. According to after-action reports, almost bulletproof. Now, there, I've seen other little podcasts around the traps, some of which from America, which surprised me, talking about this recently, so I'll cut right to the chase. We are, of course, referring to the Great Emu War. Now, what's an emu? Because we, we will have listeners who have never seen one. I've, I've been attacked by one, perfect, feel perfectly justified in our military campaigns against them. Have you ever had a personal experience with it? You're a Perth boy, I'm sure you would have 
Yes. Yeah. For those who don't know, um, Alistair and I are both in Melbourne, um, which is in Victoria. Um, I, however, grew up in sort of semi-rural Perth in Western Australia. And so, yeah, a lot of experiences with emus uh, and magpies is another one, smaller bird. So an emu, for those who don't know, is like a pissed off ostrich. It's a large flightless bird that's about almost two meters tall. Yeah. And it can run up to 50 kilometers an hour. These are very intelligent, very crazy animals that don't like humans very much. And we, of course, being Australians, put it on our national crest. So if you want to look like it, Google what an emu looks like. Um, and it's not like drop bears, guys. That is actually what they look like. This is on the list of animals that are trying to kill you in Australia. Yes, and you wouldn't think so, given it's a large, flightless bird. It's usually what you, the description you associate with a dodo. It's like a dodo when it extincts you. It's very Soviet Russia. So in 1932, it's the height of the Great Depression, and there's a large-scale drought going on in Australia. And the drought's pushing thousands of emus out of their natural territory into cropland looking for water. It's also worth noting that emus have a habit of following fence lines and travelling in a straight line no matter what's in the way. So if you look up, there's a large fence system in Western Australia called the rabbit-proof fence. Um, There's some interesting modern photos of large thousands of bird flocks of emus just wandering along this fence line because... That's the direction they decided to go. And so you can imagine what happened when thousands of these emus are migrating across land. These are large birds that trample crops and eat crops. It's like, you know, large flightless locusts, really. And so these the farmers in this land, coincidentally, were largely made up of veterans from the First World War. And one of the things that Australia had to deal with after the First World War is the large number of veterans that were coming home and expected and were quite entitled to a livelihood to be provided to them after the horrors they'd injured in the First World War. And so the Australian government's response, by and large, was to give them farmland. Now, this farmland wasn't very good. Um, for those of you who haven't, who aren't in Australia or don't know about Australia, there's actually not that much arable land in Australia. About 70% desert, give or take. Yeah, about 90 to 95% of Australians actually live within 100 kilometres of the coast. And so this wasn't great farmland to begin with. And these were farmers who and former soldiers who were trying to make a life for themselves. And so in response to this, thousands of emus who were trampling their crops, they attempted to kill them themselves. But as we said, emus are large and effectively quite resilient to damage. Um, and so the farmers didn't have the correct ammunition. And so they demanded that the government send in the military. The other thing to, to point out here is that post-World War One, we get the formation of the RSL, Return Servicemen's League, which is a these days, they own and operate a large variety of, of very crappy but friendly pubs throughout mostly country Australia. Post-World War I, however, they're an incredibly power and, and well into the 60s, in fact, they're an incredibly powerful political organisation. And it's the Return Servicemen's League. This is an organisation comprised of and for the benefit of in, uh, veterans, predominantly post-World War I. So, Overseas varieties for overseas listeners include the American Legion, other veteran organisations in the UK, the Chelsea Barracks, for example, and these sort of things. Um, it's less like the Veterans Association for our American listeners. We have a Veterans Association. They're not the RSL. The RSL is a very special entity. Yeah, the RSL is actually made up of veterans, um, and it's their sort of place that they can go and you know communicate and, and drink and, and socialise with other veterans, and it provides a lot of support. And, and today it's still a wonderful organisation, but at this time, it was undeniably a political force. Oh, it was an incredibly powerful political force uh, in the interwar period. 
and particularly a political force for for uh, enlisted personnel and senior non-commissioned officers rather than the officer class who would go into politics. So these guys, like, when we say they approached the government for help, this was a voice that could not be denied. Now, the answer they gave was a little bit uh, alternative. Um, couldn't be denied, but they, what they could send is is Major Meredith. And so uh, he, he led a contingent of the 7th heavy, Artillery, uh, heavy Battery of the Royal Australian Artillery with a, a somewhat... Like a, a sort of a new toy, we were still sort of figuring out. We used it in World War One, but we had our own army now, and we'd really been combat tested. We were sort of in the experimental phase of, of developing this, and so he had two Lewis guns and ten thousand rounds of ammunition. I'm just counting the zeros there to make sure I have it right. Ten thousand rounds of ammunition, in which to undergo a, a cull of the emus. How did this go? Well. Unfortunately, as it turned out, um, emus are quite intelligent. Um, and to drag it away from military history for a second, if you look at uh, sorry, veterinary reports and things, birds are quite intelligent animals, and emus are especially intelligent creatures. And they're also quite resilient to bullet wounds, as it turns out. Um, and so the first attack was a failure. Effectively, they found a herd, uh, a flock of emus, and started shooting at it, uh, but the emus largely got away. And there wasn't a lot of damage done. The second attempt they made was a major sort of set-piece ambush where they used local farmers to herd um, a large flock of emus towards the two waiting Lewis guns. Unfortunately, they were seen uh, by the emus, um, and then one of the Lewis guns actually jammed, and so the very elaborate, very public ambush uh, only led to the death of 12 birds, and the rest scattered. But the other point to make here is that this is a major PR exercise for the new Australian army, battle-tested it. In Anzac, like, this is new Australian army. This is our new thing. This is a source of national pride, particularly in the middle of the Depression and after the horrors of World War One. The fact that we had our own army is one of the centerpieces of us forming as a country. And so this is a major PR exercise. And it goes horribly wrong. Absolutely. And, and for, the, for the Americans and the Europeans out there, Australia at this point has only been a federated society for less than 30 years. And so for the, the new federal and particularly the new state government in New South Wales... This was an incredibly important uh, political exercise, uh, particularly given that, as Alistair pointed out, the RSL, who they were responding to, was a major political force in the middle of the Depression. So that goes terribly, terribly awry. So they try something else. And this is sort of inspired by, what was the, the Russian history is a thing of yours? Oh, uh, oh the Tachanka. Yeah, so the, the Russians uh, during the Civil War had a thing called a Tachanka, which is effectively what happens if you take a four-horse a cart made of wood and strap two Maxim machine guns to the back. It was a terrible idea. Um, and so what the Australians tried to do is what we tried to do. We tried to mount Lewis guns to it. We made technicals, yeah. 20, early 20th century technicals, to take on emus. Well, the problem was that the emus were actually faster over that terrain than the trucks of the day. Um, and the Lewis gun actually fell off at one point. So that didn't work. Eventually, after six days and a quarter of their ammunition gone, the government recorded those soldiers in defeat um, Meredith, of course, later said, if we had a military division with the bullet-carrying capacity of these birds, it would face any army in the world. They can face machine guns with the invulnerability of tanks. They're like Zulus, whom even dum-dum bullets could not stop. And if you go in further into the after-action reports, and there are actually after-action reports of these engagements, they refer to the emu commander engaging in guerrilla warfare. And the tactics utilized by them, of course, these are still birds, a flock of birds, but they are 
treated with the respect and dignity of a enemy combatant in 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 a lot of ways oh yes as, as one of the action after action reports says and you can you can google this it's available publicly um in justification of their failure it points out that every flock of emus has a leader bird um and it's usually a large um typically dark colored bird who will watch while the others eat um, and as soon as he sees one he emits a call and the whole flock scatters now uh, anyone who's looked at bird behavior knows that's just how animals function. Um, but that was a large number, a large amount of sort of malicious intent was attributed to these animals um, at this period. Now, there was a second attempt made and it was slightly more successful. Um, but after this, the government effectively gave up um, and sanctioned a civilian cull. And what's actually interesting for those overseas is that from personal experience, I can tell you that in Australia's current climate, the Australian government's position has remained since now that the only effective way to cull Australian wildlife is to actually implement a civilian cull. And so there's never been another emu war because I guess we don't want to lose again. No, not at all. The ADF does engage in, in um, kangaroo culls on their own land when they get out of control. And this might offend some sensibilities. You do have to understand what the kangaroo cull, and I, I want to make a point of this because it's something I do encounter in, in my daily life. When we engage in a kangaroo cull, the population really is that high. But yeah, no, we haven't we haven't gone that far with, with the emus ever again because they're just too hard. And in fact, later on, when a, a New South Wales uh, state Labor politician inquired as to whether there would be a campaign medal struck um, for those who took part in the war, he right, his um, federal counterpart responded to this question by saying, well, the emus should get it because they uh, have won every round so far. And so that that was Australia's emu war, and I encourage you to go and go and look at it. There's a lot of funny. I guess now they'd be called memes, uh, showing our age a little bit here, Alistair. I've I've seen it on BuzzFeed a couple of times, but oh, it's one of those things we don't really like to talk about in this country because, yeah, um, nobody really wants to say that they lost a war against birds, um, but we did, and that's one example of what we were talking about earlier. You know, sometimes wars for want of a better word, can be funny and, and can really sort of make you think about, you know, humanity's place. Clearly, you know, we should not offend the giant birds. No, if there's an animal much more aggressive and much nastier than you, uh, deploying more force against it is probably not going to work. My personal opinion is I think it would have been hilarious if we'd employed some of those early Vickers tanks and seen what had happened because they were notoriously unreliable. And I suspect that they might have been captured by the emus. Oh, that's a t- scary thought. An emu driving a tank. I don't even want to contemplate that. And with that image of a crazed bird driving a tank firmly etched into your dreams, we'll call it a night. From Austin and myself, thank you once again for joining us for another episode. If you've enjoyed this story, please let us know through social media or in the comments section below. We've a few more up our sleeves, and if you guys are interested in these specials, we'd be very happy to do more of them in the future, alongside our more serious content. Next week, we will resume our regular schedule with a discussion of piracy and its intricate relationship with state violence and indeed war. Until then, once again, thank you for listening, and good night.